Welcome to it. I don't know. I, I've got nothing this week, so I just... You're running short on on inspirational oh. and provocative introductions. Well, yes. I gotta do those little write-ups every single week. The least you could do is just give me something in the beginning of the podcast. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, edit that one out. <laughs> I will. You, you I'll have see, a... No, go I'm classic. gonna turn you into go, something. You go, watch. Go classic. Be like... Be like, in a world when music is just hitting the mainstream, three men come together to discuss it and try to make it sound much better than it actually is. You want the job? You can't hire or fire anybody. <laughs> Shut up. I have power beyond your wildest dreams. Uh-huh. Like the power to get angry at things uh, uh, vehemently. <laughs> well, yes, we're all capable of that. We're That's all, right. the three of us are both volatile and very defensive people. I agree with that. Yeah. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Yeah. You're correct. Well, it's only because you two actually antagonize me constantly. We antagonize each other. No. Okay. See, no, the actual people listening don't realize that you've actually been doing that before the show. Purposely antagonizing me. And I only got, got you back once. You're still ahead. I think we've come to a peaceful agreement on how angry we get. Yes. <laughs> so. Yes. yes. Um, uh, this week I want to announce... Top first, I want to thank uh, Molly for coming on last week. Uh, an impromptu shuffling of the way we do things here, but worked out great. Um, I had a blast interviewing her. Also, uh, it was fun to interview a friend because you don't really get to do that often. So it's kind of fun to be able to do that and find out stuff that you might not have known about their start and their music career and where they're going with it. So that was a blast, and her performances were wonderful. Look for those on the YouTube hopefully this week. Um, by the time this is up, actually, hopefully they will already be there. Also, I want to announce our guest for September. Her name is Rashmi. She is a musician I met at the Waystation. She's a, um, a wonderful singer and a great musician. She had um, a Kickstarter campaign, and now I'm, of course, blanking on what it was. But it was essentially a way to unite musical cultures from around the world. I'm, it's very vague, that description. I'll look up for the details and talk about it more hopefully next week. I'm Bravo. Sure, <laughs> I'm sure she'll talk about it when she comes on. She'll be on the last Monday of, or rather the last Thursday of the month. So look forward to that. And um, no news otherwise. I haven't done anything super exciting musically. What about you guys? Step it up. No, I got nothing. I, got, I haven't done shit. Yes. <laughs> I'm just waiting for Weezer. Uh, the very fact that they went and got the guy that did Pinkerton to be their executive producer again makes me hopeful. Okay, I have a few friends who would definitely agree with you on that. Me at too. least in terms of the uh, the timing of Pinkerton and then what they've done lately, which has been not been the direction they've been hopeful for, as kind you of, heard. Kind of mainstream pop. Okay, fair enough. Not that I dislike Hurley, I just don't really like it. I, I dislike Hurley. That's Matt Storm. I really Just in enjoy, case you're wondering. I, really I am told to dislike Hurley by varying... I love the Red <laughs> album, and I think Ratitude was actually really, really solid. For pop records? No, for them. 
Eh. It felt like that. This is an unimportant discussion for the moment. Well, what's great is we're going to have this discussion in mid-October. Not quite sure where the dates line up, but uh, oh, yeah, that's my pull the Monty Python. There are yeah, some exciting announcements coming up for autographs, which has been a great success, and I really enjoyed doing um, a lot of thanks to Steve for the help with the intros and outros hey. and any editing I've needed. See, learn from me in terms of intros. Ah, I'm so proud of myself right now. You have no idea. Just, just I'm going to awesome. smack him. If you hear a crack, it's my f- hand hitting his face. Maybe me. Um, <laughs> or maybe you hitting I'm clo- him. I'm closer. You're closer. I snubbed my mood. No, to get it. to the point so we can start the actual album review, um, I was able to hook up with a few more musicians who will be, just to name a few, Hugo from Tantric, Marion Call. I'm also really excited to announce officially on the podcast, MC Lars is coming to New York on tour in November. He's asked me to do an interview with him at the venue where he's performing. So it'll be, uh, this is in, it'll probably come out in late November, early December. The first Crash Chords autographs recorded live with the artist. So that's really exciting for me. Um, that should be a lot of fun. You sound excited. I thought I did. <laughs> should we tell them? <laughs> no. I hate you both. John's neutral, all right. <laughs> I hate you both. Jo- um, John picked... The- no, Steve, who picked this album? I picked this album, thank you very much. <laughs> I can't even remember anymore. All right, I went for Spoon this week. The album, They Want My Soul. Now I got into Spoon as a result of the movie Stranger Than Fiction, as I said at the end of last week's episode. And they were used in the soundtrack. I forget it was either one or two tracks. Uh, Turn My Camera On, I believe, was one of them. That was helpful for the movie. I believe they were really appropriate for soundtrack usage because they have this tendency to fit a certain emotion, a certain vibe, and then just go for it. It may last for the entirety of the song, but that's why it was useful for soundtracks, because they usually just take clips and use it as such. But I do remember liking uh, the album that they came off, although the name escapes me now. I believe several of their mid-2000s albums I was, I was pretty inclined toward. Not mind-blowing, but, you know, they're a progressing band. They've been around for a while. They... Consider, they're considered to be alternative rock, and they're, they've been around since 1993, so they're alt for the 90s, if that means anything. You might also think Steve Malkmus in the same apartment. Um, I thought it was Malkmus. I've heard it both ways. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Waiting for that John sneer. Anywho. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, when you bring to uh, They Want My Soul coming out this year... I figured they've had this many years to to move toward a a, a more uh, full-fledged sound. I wanted to see exactly where they went. Apparently, it's not really anywhere. Well, I don't want to say not yeah, anywhere. I think that, well, I think that they've hit upon the same marks that they hit upon back in the in the mid two thousands. Frankly, I would have to listen to those albums again to really determine where they stand up with this. It could be more in the same line. Again, that was many years ago. Anyway, let's jump into the first track, which is "Rent I Pay." Um, I mean, Such it's, a working man's title. Yeah. The rent I pay. But see, what's a bummer is it's not, it doesn't really sound like a working man's track. Like, well, it's because it had some of a... Well, nah, I, I think it had a rent... It had a working man's feel, only in the sense that it had that plain indie rock feel. Kind of brings me back to the discussion we had on like indie versus pop, and how indie tends to be more working man's uh, feel, you could I say. I guess, yeah. That, I don't it, was, know. it could have been from that extremely... Introductory track, drum work that we were greeted with. Um, in the beginning of this track? Yes. Well, it starts off very drum heavy, that's for sure. There's 
these steady hi-hats, and then also crashing on the snare on the, the second and fourth beat. So it's that whole, like, we are rock sound. It's very hard to pin it uh, beyond that. It's familiar, but it's enjoyable to a certain extent. I feel very much the same as I did back in several other bands that I might throw into modern indie rock, which is Queens of the Stone Age, uh, that was episode 52, Arctic Monkeys, episode 66, and Jack White, episode 101. I mean, there are similarities between those bands, but I feel like Queens of the Stone Age still stood out a bit because they did some unique things. Same but, with Jack White. In the same set. Well, granted, not all of this less, track too much, yeah. but, this, but this band does some unique things, especially in terms of sonic diversity. True. Um, but back to this track. Not out of the core rhythm, and I understand what you mean there. Yeah. Other than that, it's hard to get past. I will say that, that that diversity does show through a little bit because there is some m minor, and it really is minor, fluctuations that they're putting throughout this song with a little bit of soundbite work and just varying the actual feel of uh, like the bass, the drums. The, the bass, I noticed, particularly, it didn't quite sound at the right level of mixing. You know or, what it no, is? Or the, like the proper, the quote proper level of mixing. The bass had the character sort of of, of punk, and that is sort of the mic is kind of hugging the amp really closely. So yeah, the mixing, I, I, it, it's, it's very appropriate to say it's not, it doesn't sound proper because of the fact that in that style, you wouldn't want it mixed properly. You wouldn't want it mixed perfectly. You want it to get a little bit raw. But that was about the rawest thing about this track, a part of apart from a few other things. For instance, let's jump in the vocals here. Even though the vocals I don't think changed very much throughout this entire album, I'll say right up front, they had kind of a borderline punk rock flair to them. It's the style that he sings that almost harkens back to, like, British punk. He has that little, like, lilt that he throws in that almost hints to an accent, but they're from Texas as far as I know. Well, it's a little I... bit slurred, sort of carelessly pulling away from the mic at times, especially in this track. Lots of attitude but sort of in that like Lennon-esque or McCartney-esque way, it's it's like, it's got the intensity, the attitude, but he's definitely not going to go off the rails. Well, I'd also heard, when, not so much in this song, but in later songs, they had a very similar sound to Blur, too, um, which was reminiscent of Blur's lead singer, Damon's voice. It was a very similar kind of lilt. Damon is, I believe, from Britain, so I can see that connection, even though these guys, as you said, are from the States. Um... But I want to talk about how within the f beginning movements of the song from verse to chorus, it, you already notice a very repetitive pattern. It just it doesn't really change up much. They stick with a cycle and, and kind of repeat it until they get to the bridge. Right. And, and the bridge is kind of an interesting shift. But it goes to a certain extent. My yeah. problem with the bridge is that it does something that's a little different. It's unique and engaging briefly, but that's just it. Then it cycles right back into the same thing that the first half of the song was repeating on a loop. Right. Now, I'll, I'll convey, what's, convey what's going on here is that you, you sort of take a C minor song, and then here in the bridge, it places a little bit more emphasis on the five chord, the G, and then it all alternates between that G, then back to C, G, then back to C. Nothing really groundbreaking here, but then meanwhile, you take these vocals that just take this one line, this, this oola, <laughs> and repeats that over and over and over again. First, on, on the... Uh, on the five chord, it goes toward the, um, the the seventh, which is the third of that five chord, and then on the one, it's just one, respectively. So it's nice that little home moment. But then that's furthered a little bit more in the in the following chords of this bridge, where we move to the four chord, and then the seventh chord, and then back to the sixth chord, and then the third, as if to imply some kind of wraparound. And on that 
that pivot there, we get nothing. It just bleeds out into emptiness, sort of the, the core rhythmic component of this track, which is just the, the steady hi-hat and the crashing snare on the second and fourth beat. And that goes on for what I would almost call like an awkward four measures, because we were just ripped from the bridge so abruptly. And then there's another four measures adding on, like a little bit of a sound effect that in itself could have been a little ominous, could have built to something. But it doesn't. It just goes right back into the chorus. This track just feels very confined. I mean, as far as an intro track goes, it's cute. It's 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 entertaining-ish. It's spoon. Yeah, but I wouldn't really count this outside their normal realm. But, but no, it's, definitely not. It's it's definitely something of a, of a safer route for them. This yeah. is th- this familiar. track is definitely safer for them. Yes. Yeah, and and but that's why what what I mean by confined, it just feels very limited by this safe kind of area they are afraid to leave. Um, whereas the next track, Inside Out, actually, at least in the beginning, seems to feel like it's going to go somewhere else. Based well, it, on the ethereal intro here, I totally thought it was going into the Simpsons theme at first. It did have that. It had that tremolo, the, that string tremolo in the background. Very peaceful, very delicate, and then joined by this distant rhythm. Soon a little bit more prominent as the bass steps in. Kind of funky. But again, it's as if it was just like the bare bones components of funk. But still, this is much, uh, I thought, more pleasing mixing on the part of the bass. It, yeah. it wasn't as raw, this was clean, and I enjoyed it. And the drum and bass worked really well together to give you that kind of funky vibe that, yeah. that felt very different from the first track, at least initially. Well, I prefer this just in line of what Spoon usually does. I usually associate them with clean as opposed to raw. Yeah, and, I would agree with that. Well, it... it it gets further complicated. Again, it's just they're sort of just fluctuating on that basic bass drum setup that they, they created on their basic rhythm with those high accents on top of uh, yeah, we get certain these little, emphasis. Little xylophone sounds that step in. Um, xylophones are chimes, I forget exactly which, but they're just they're they're delicate, they go in line with the um, with the tremolos. And then the rhythms sort of change subtly by fading in and out the tremolo. I mean, it fades in the tremolo and then it quickly withdraws the tremolo. So it becomes sort of this this recurring soundbite loop. It, you you it, you become aware that it's not going to be like a present thing throughout this track, but it's it's still kind of in and out. Um, on top of that, we have the vocalists who I gotta refer to at this point is almost secondary because I'm more interested in these other sound effects. This to me is the benefit. This to me is, is spoon-saving grace. They use these sound effects to their advantage because it creates what I said before, that sort of sonic diversity. You have all these little things going on, so you can pay attention to them instead of the core song, maybe even instead of the vocalist, because the vocalist, as I said in the first track, is just about the same. It's kind of that funk, uh, excuse me, punk air with a little bit of an attitude, uh, not really spotlighted in a way. No, he kind of blends into the background even almost sometimes. Well, there were a couple of lines I picked out. Um, There's intense gravity in you. I'm just your satellite. It gets repeated a little bit. Those lyrics are really kind of cliche, though, no? There's intense gravity. I don't got time for holy rollers, though they may wash my feet and I won't be their soldier. It's Um, almost on that... As someone who was listening to this album with us mentioned, it's a little obtuse. 
Spoiler alert, that was Painless Parker, who you might remember from episode 63. Yeah, Painless was sitting in with us. Uh, I'd been hanging out with him during the day. He was taking refuge from a terrible parade in his neighborhood. Well, the parade itself isn't terrible. The noise that it creates is. Fair. So he was here and he was listening, but yeah. yeah um, but he used the word obtuse, and I think that's that's um, that's um very appropriate for some of these lyrics. I think Only obtuse... because they don't really... the the Because of the mixing, it doesn't really invite you to really read into exactly what's being said. It's nonsensical. It's not even obtuse. Obtuse might be too kind of a word. Completely nonsensical at times. Uh, I can't, like no, I can't go that far. I wouldn't go that far. Because there's some sense in it. It's just a little uh, uh, esoteric. Allow me to read the full verse. Time's gone inside out. Time gets distorted when there's intense gravity. I don't get time for holy rollers. Though they may wash my feet, and I won't be their soldier. At least I, I follow his point on time itself. Yeah, the yes. sort of which know. is not. And that... then he jumps rails on this thing. Mm. It, it's. But I want to go back to the music for a minute because in this song we get into that loop again, where the verse and the chorus are very similar, and then we get another bridge. This time with a beautiful harp piece. But <laughs> the problem with this piece. You know, I, I, I like a harp in a song. I mean, it adds the, it always adds that kind of heavenly, very ethereal vibe. But the problem was, it felt forced and fake. It felt like, here's a soundbite of a harp, pluck it there. Oh, we'll put it here, and we'll put it there, and we'll put it here, and just sprinkled it throughout the song. I'm going to defend this harp solo a little bit more. Um, but you're still right in your interpretation of how it, of how it washed over you. It was just like, unaffected to me. Or Un- ineffective, Okay, rather. perhaps ineffective to the song, but it was effective for me, at least, in providing substance where I felt there was lack- it was lacking substance oh, I before. Could, I could totally but see no, that. No, 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 but the substance was more akin to garnish than anything else. See, I, I, think, really... they, I think they used it as garnish, but then it, the garnish became more the most important thing. And once it's the most important thing, is it any longer garnish? Well, I wouldn't say it wasn't really the most important thing until the end. Okay, yes, outro. we get we get the two... outro was was significantly more connected to the song than that bridge. I think they knew it was this song's sort of crowning jewel. So they probably rushed it a little bit in because it seemed like it came in after a very short first verse and then all of a sudden it was just there and it 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 could have perhaps only been an interlude instead it was kind of an extended interlude. Um such that it probably could be considered a solo at that point. Then we return to the main song. Not that I'm disappointed with the rest of what's going on. It's still sort of the interesting things from before. The tremolo, the bass, the kind of funky bass. But it's a lot of repetition at this point. Yeah. It has it has lost its effect of wowing me as it did in the first uh, 20 seconds of the song. And then finally we get to the end, and they bring back the harp. And this is where I felt like it, it had its chance to flourish beyond a simple flourish yeah but then even that after the harp comes back it plays for another minute and then there's a whole other minute of the song without it and still doing that loop and by that point i'm like i recall it being the outro no yeah, no no it is it was outro. not no I part re- of the it is part of the outro it is but the outro goes on even after the harp is stopped the harp does not play through to the end i remember uh, specifically the okay. outro was approximately a minute and a half long i remember seeing the timestamp for that it started at approximately 3 30 it goes into about a 25 to 35 second piece that does get repeated at least once. 
and I do remember the last 20 seconds were kind of without the heart, but it was only like the last 20 seconds of a minute and a half long outro. I feel like the outro was longer Breaking than Breaking down that. by the seconds. I wanted to know this one because it was one of the better parts of the whole album. Oh, it definitely that, was. And I really wanted to hone in on this because it is something that, honestly, I, I kind of expect from Spoon. But at the same time, I didn't expect them to take it in the direction they took it in to introduce a harp in this way. It's the only moment in the album where you get a harp. It's the only moment in Spoon period where I recognize a harp. So it's one of those things. You know, you throw it in, it, it's, it's a bound to wow you kind of soundbite. I don't, I, it's very hard for me actually to imagine a moment in which a harp could not wow you. I, it would have to be the most tasteless harp on the face of the planet. Oh, of course. And I, it's, it feels weird to even put those two words in the same sentence. Again, my harp. issue with the harp was not that it wasn't beautiful. Because a harp always sounds beautiful to me. It's, it's place in the song and it's placement felt like it was forced to me. It, it came across perhaps as a little bit sporadic. Yes. That being said, it still is one of my favorite moments in the album. It's gorgeous. It's up there. Not my favorite, but it's up there. It's up there. Um, this takes us, this outro, this, whether it was long or not, although I recall it being long, outro takes us into Rainy Taxi, which from the moment the song starts, I get this weird kind of secret agent-y vibe. I don't know why. I guess it was maybe the guitar work reminded me of like the old it Bond was, song. It was kind of a driving yeah. drum rhythm also, which makes you feel as if, you know, there's... There's, there's shit going down. It and then was... on top of that, you also get the piano, those accents that kind of harken back to a more, maybe a more like 70s era Bond. <laughs> yeah. If you, have that, that, if you have that association, you'd have to see the Bond movies well, to get that association. I made a, comp- uh, a trio of comparisons. It was, it was uh, heaping helping of Beck inspiration uh, with a gorillas-like singing coupled with uh, a, a healthy dash of going the distance <laughs> by cake um which i, I, I see I, these things but i mean i don't want to go too far with comparisons their, but, at this point well no because, in this in this case i mean that's what it immediately brought it to mind for me that's why i'm bringing this up all right then i it, immediately saw these things which it had the darkness that i would kind of expect from not spoon but by keeping it with the amalgamation of all these kind of esoteric artists, these guys that kind of pushed the boundaries for the time, which is why I'm using them as examples, it kept it from actually being dark. It kept it a little bit airy, a little bit breathe. I didn't feel sadness throughout this song. I didn't feel anger or anything that would be like a strong emotional reaction. That might be good, that might be bad. This one just sh- struck me as very moody. Well, yeah, it had I, kind of a I would use feel. the word the word ominous. I mean, I'm sure you can't you can't impugn your your associations with this track, uh, because it does have all of these things. And whether you have the association or not is is kind of besides the point. It is sort of a cacophony of sounds um, at a certain point. I think the most interesting was that was the the prominent riff here. It was a guitar that sort of doubled with that chime thing, and then on top of that, all these different sounds start coming in that sort of take the riff into more of a melodic role. It's interesting. And that's only like maybe a minute in before we get vocals. Well, I should say already a minute in before we get vocals because we it's quite a while of instrumentals. So they are setting the stage. But yet again, I am so much less impressed by these vocals or by these vocals than I am the rest of the stuff, the rest of the 
the contributing aura. Well, also, like, the real thing that sets this song apart a bit, too, is that the steady drum beat that's almost robotic, but still not as robotic as other drum beats that they've used already, really pushes the rest of the instrumentation to the forefront. It makes it pop a little more. It, it makes it more noticeable, which, which I think also worked really well for the song. Um, however, I agree, the, the vocals just didn't really do much. It was mostly for me... The rhythm and the melody kind of was where I was interested and hooked on this song. This is it's like this I said, it's that the vocals I don't yeah. think contributed very much. I think it's like because the song the could have done was, its job as an instrumental. The melody yes. was just sort of picking it up. This one, I'm I'm definitely enjoying the melody uh, a bit more than I did in the previous two tracks. He's also not once again not really saying anything I care about. I do it's, like it's, though. It's, there's nothing provocative in the lyrics or anything like that that I'm really honing in on. I do like on the bridge on this one, mostly for purely selfish reasons. At one point, the song cuts out and there's bashing on keys, and then it jumps back in with this kind of chaotic piano playing. <laughs> I liked it mostly because it was out of left field, and it made me laugh out loud. And if a song can make me pause and laugh out loud, I mean, at least I noticed something. I felt something, and that, that I kind of enjoyed. Because it brought something to my attention. It seemed very silly and out of place, but they'd been doing soundbite work to begin with, so it's not that far into Spoon. Ah, yeah, when you look at it at the end, it's kind of a bluesy track. Yeah. A little bit. In terms of progression, there's lots of fours and fives. It's still very safely in G minor. Um, but then when the interlude came, and the interlude was all sort of guitar-driven, that persists in where the guitar persists into becoming a comping instrument for the second verse. And that was kind of cool. So again, we do have, we probably do have more creative cohesion in this track than we do some of the preceding ones. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, but And the bridge plays around with the same chords again, but in a different order. Um, but again, I'm just, I, 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 I don't think, I don't think there's enough else here sometimes to make me forget about that progression. I agree. I think that, like... That it, it, it can get repetitive. It, it gets very repetitive, because it goes back into that loop. Because even with the bashing on the keys and the piano work, the piano work is still kind of in the background, and that rhythm is still looping, and that well, that, that, that the, riff is still looping. The piano's in the background because it's it tends towards the higher register. And if you're going to be playing the high notes, it's it's hard to push it forward on top of This particular of track, that the piano was a little more all over. Yeah. Um... It wasn't so much that just was later, but the no, no, the accents, even the the bulk of the accents. I mean, they weren't mirroring or playing with the drums and the bass here. It's still playing towards what the guitar might be doing or what the vocals well, might be. You know, doing. It, 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 at first it was used merely for accents, and then later on, I think it uh, it steps into, um, like I said, is more of a melodic thing. But what I what I didn't like was once this melodic sound started to come through and I started to get a little more engaged I started to enjoy it a lot more they went like it still was weaved into that loop and then that loop just faded out like they didn't really go anywhere with it there was no finality there was no big finish it was a little bit of chaotic I almost said Keanu but (laughs) piano work Whoa, Freudian slip, perhaps? Uh, eh, maybe, maybe. Maybe? I don't know. Forget, um, forget but happened. The, it was. I thought that fading it out was a cheap way to end this song. With the piano accents, you could have done some fun stuff, like a loud bang on the keys again to end it, or who knows. Like There were some hard stops that you could work in with the piano that are really fun, interesting, or unique, and instead they just let them play crazily until they faded it it's out. It's a personal bias to me. Like The, the, most, <laughs> the things that, um, that should fade out need to be rather dare I say, epic and anthemy. Yeah. 
if you're going to presume that the song implies some kind of eternal value that, that it fades never, into yeah, existence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least promote some sort of finality in your fade out. Yeah. yeah. I think Lewis Logic, when he had been a guest on the podcast, uh, had said something to that effect. That the reason he hates fade outs is because it's this impression that your song never ends and goes on forever. Bullshit, it's a song, it ends. Yeah. You know, which, which I, I, I'm inclined to agree with. The song but, of the ages. But the fade out did bring us into... Um, I know one of John's favorites on the track, uh, on the album rather, uh, Do You, which John thinks is the single, um, but I'm not positive on that one. But this one, I mean, from the minute it starts, it's got this kind of toe-tapping beat and kind of pulls you right in. Okay. I got a rant on this intro just because I think it was one of the, their most creative moments on this track. Just because of the rhythmic things that they were doing. Rhythmic. Yes, you heard me. It... First of all, you have this little doo-doo in the background, sung as if it's in like a tube of some kind. It's it's the the effect of that of that doo-doo combined with this really cool rhythmic rhythmic effect. As I said, it's sort of an interesting hemiola, where you generally have in a hemiola a, a three-four ratio of something. Well, here the the doo-doo comprises a cycle of one and a half beats or three eighth notes. So one for the first doo, one for the second doo, which is then held into the third eighth note. So then when you take that 3-8 cycle and you repeat it against a 4-4 rhythm, you don't complete the cycle until after three measures are up. So observe, you have sort of a do-do is just the one and, then a space held, and then and three, and then four and, then and two, then three and, and then finally and one. But it doesn't line up with the 4-4 measures there. It takes three measures for that to line up again. And yet... The 4-4 four, four measures don't persist as if they're like in a cycle of three measures. They persist as, as a normal pop song would, four measure cycles. So even though the doo-doo rhythm has, has the, the rhythmic cycle has completed by the, after three measures, you still have this four bar intro followed by four bars with percussion this time. So you still feel it in that 4-4 four, four thing. But beyond that, the doo-doos, as we're calling them, are also this falling chromatic scale, where each doo-doo, starting with A-flat, goes down a half-step, to E, where it repeats twice, and then back up to A-flat, where it repeats three times before repeating again, which starts that cycle all over again. And that takes about 12 of those 3 eighth cells to complete, which is a cycle that's independent of all the other cycles. So between the rhythm, the layering, the tonality here, this is actually a deceivingly complex intro, and it... it might have something to do with one of the reasons why they faded out in like the ninth measure because they couldn't keep it going. <laughs> I don't know because it, yeah, it wouldn't line up perfectly for a while. It would kind of like fall out of cohesion. And it was used also in the interlude of the track, like in the in about the middle of the song. It was used in the interlude, yeah, yeah. In the middle, and it lasted for almost just as long. Yeah, but well, also what I really liked about this song was the chorus work. Like his, this is the first time I really took notice of his vocal work, and the way he had this kind of raspy drag, which was popular with a lot of the alternative rock singers in the '90s when that word meant something else. People like Matt, you know, Rob Thomas from Matchbox Twenty or Stephen Jenkins from from Third Eye Blind, had this kind of rasp on their voice and would drag out notes. And he does that on the Do You chorus. He drags his voice, and you get a real sense of that raspy break in his voice, which adds character to the singing, which there, I really like. There's a raspiness to that, which also... It's funny, because the rest of the song actually has a sort of a pleasant air to it. Um, it, it gets particularly romantic about the uh, around the bridge, where you get the bass that kind of like hugs the seventh... Um, lots of E major, A major kind of stuff. It's all, it's very uplifting, actually. 
Well, the the it's funny that the rasp kind of works with that. The the it's more of a pleading rasp because the song actually this is one time I'm I'm, I'm actually gonna hone in on the lyrics because I really enjoy what he's saying, um, especially the first chorus. Do you want to get understood? Do you want one thing, or are you looking for sainthood? Or do you run when it's just getting good? Or do you, do you, and that fade out of four repetitions of do you? I like the way he's phrasing these. I, I like it's... It does bring a little bit more imagery to the mind um, than the previous tra uh, tracks. Also, there's... Here, I'm, sent, I'm seeing a lot more cohesion in what he's singing to this woman. Because obviously... He's pleading to her to, to come back to him or for them to be together. Or it can go a bunch of different ways. But you can see that he wants to love her. I like what they're doing here. It, 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 is, it feels a little more inspired than everything else they've done lyrically so far. Well, also because it feels like the first time ever we actually have some semblance of a narrative, finally. A narrative that works with the music. Because when you consider the, the, the sort of questioning nature of this chorus, there's that, that unsure quality. Mm -hmm. To what he's driving at, that's conveyed actually by this this recurring uh, this recurring loop of this interesting rhythmic cycle. Because then, when you have this sort of falling chromatic motion, everything kind of seems to be falling out of line. Like you're just unsure about where it's going. It weaves its way down. It winds its way up. And the same works with that rhythm, that whole one and, and three, four and, and two, three and, and one, two and. This awkward rhythm that takes three measures to aligned. It's 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 bizarre. It seems like he like that is sort of the the chorus. If we're not calling it like the traditional chorus, but let's consider like a like a Greek choir chorus. Let's call it the choir in that case. They step in to sort of like repeat the uh the driving emotion of your main character. Then that narrative. Yeah. And and it's also got one major thing going for it, and I think it's because that the song itself probably has the strongest melody thus far on the album, and the melody seems to be taking an actual forefront instead of kind of being fallen, pushed down by the rhythm as uh, the previous tracks. It feels a lot more integrated. Well, the rest of the rhythm is all just 4-4. Four, four. That's the thing. It only gets complex when you throw in those little interludes. The rest of it is, is manageable. 4-4 four, four is always manageable, so... Yeah, that probably is why it's integrated. It's it's more like they took the same safe texture because we're not they still haven't really pushed any boundaries outside the do do part, um, and they they took this safe texture that they've been just kept kept on doing and actually started rumpling it, started started futzing with it, crunching it up here and there, so it's a little bit chunkier and a little bit smoother, and it does ebb and flow a, a lot more. I'm glad they didn't overdo the the do-do, overdo the do. Well, it would have <laughs> hurt the emotion of the song. It would have yeah. hurt the message of the song. As I said, it's sort of a recurring choir kind of thing. Well, and also the song finishes very strongly, too, because it it, it, fall, it almost falls apart in essence. It doesn't, it doesn't just fade out. It doesn't just end... You know, it change it, it evolves into this outro that's a lot softer, and it, it's not just a endless loop of what the rest of the song had been. And then it falls apart until it actually ends and stops. And then the new next track just picks up somewhere else. Knock, knock, knock. So what I like about the song, and I actually I'm gonna pull a John here. I have a theme theory thing for this song uh -oh. at least. So we were talking about off the air how 
everything sounds really punchy and close up in this track. Well, think about the idea of what knock, knock, knock represents. Clearly, you think of someone knocking on a door. Typically, in, in most cartoon fashions, if you picture someone knocking on the door, they're like looking in the eye hole and knocking real close. This idea of this closeness, this, this approaching an entrance or approaching something, a topic, whatever else, you're getting really close before you knock, you're getting close up, and so they wanted the sound to feel that kind of containment. I mean, there's whistling in the song, I think it's after the choruses, it's either after the choruses or the verse. It sounds like someone's in the room whistling with you if you have a good enough sound set up. Because it, it's how close they get to the mic for that sharp whistle. It really sounded like John was sitting in front of me whistling. It's also a bit of a maddening song. And I think that comes back to the um, uh, what the character here is going through. That's exemplified in the chorus. Every day I hear knock, knock, knock. Oh, and it's you. Oh, every day I hear knock, knock, knock. There I see you and you're shaking and you're breaking. And you tell me I'm your only friend, and it starts all over again. It's it's a cycle that he himself is caught in. So well, why, I mean, it, again, that knock-knock thing that you're pointing out is accurate. And that's why he sort of brings that to the table, because that's the sound that starts over the cycle. So, of course, they would, you know, use the sonic nature of the track to convey that. And then when they introduce that screech... That's when they kind of push the envelope with the uh, with the nature and the narrative of the song because mm -hmm. this is when they bring up and your hand is on the trigger and you know it's going to blow but you don't give a damn don't care who's going to know you want everyone to talk slow and give you consent it takes a pretty dark under a uh, dark turn in the latter half of the song and this it when they start introducing those they, they use the whistle a little bit less and add in, like, almost screech guitar. I don't know if it was made by they a They add in a bunch of things. Screech. It really starts getting chaotic. I mean, everything we just said about Spoon sort of using sound bites as their, as their main advantage or their, eh, maybe not necessarily sound bites, but at least this, these sort of ridiculous throw-ins, which you'd think wouldn't belong. But then at the end of the day, Spoon tries something different in just about every single track. So... You know, you'd think it would kind of go unnoticed, except for the fact that here, it's all over the place. It, it, it's almost electronic interference at some point in, halfway through the song. So again, that contributes to the maddening effect. Um, beyond that, you're looking at a lot of A-flat minor to D-flat minor, so, you know, still well, working with those ones and fives. The, the tone of the guitar is different as well, because um, it's taking a more salsa kind of an approach. It's It's... It feels like they infuse a lot more energy into this song than they did in the previous songs, even though it's not significantly faster tempo or anything like right. that. And excuse it's me, just, ones, and, ones and fours. It's just, but but that, I think, adds to that madness that Steve was talking about. All of these things coming together. You think of the most iconic scenes and movies of madness. There's always sudden sounds and shifting music. and It's like a swirling. Yeah, yeah. It's got to be visual. And, and yeah. this... this Song is very visual. That's the word. The sounds and the close-up nature make it very visual. No, it was definitely my favorite at this point. Yeah. Um, again, in terms of cohesion. Yeah, artistically, they actually kind of brought a bunch of elements together to make a pretty good piece here. Mm -hmm. Now, it's not groundbreaking by any stretch, but honestly, I don't want groundbreaking of this part of the album. I don't want them to do something just monstrous because it would just feel too out of place. Mm, I could have used it. <laughs> yeah, I could have too. I'm, I'm with Steve on that. And Outlier sure won't be that standout either. So Outlier's track six. Um, my biggest problem with this song is it goes into a cliche theme that 
we've heard I mean okay so there's a lot of keyboard work in the start of the song and I like synth we've there are a lot of bands that we've rated favorably who've used synth but this felt very 80s pop kind of synth and I don't know that I wanted that at this point. That's just another cliche that they're exploring. That's They're going to loop like everything um, else. I don't think the synth itself was terribly cliche. Well, you know, I take it that back. Spacey. It's been used in various spacey. things. But, I don't know, it was interesting. I would defend it a little bit. I think the fact that the bass was strong and that the drums were one of the most impressive things in this track kind of kept me a little bit interested. But the problem is the same problem as always repeats over and over and over and so over again. Well, I mean, I thought well, that it was it also tried to go visual a little bit because the, the drums are so are so rapid fire, you know, almost picture some kind of light show to go along with this. But it wasn't the same as the last track. Well, yeah. it, that's because it was all it backdrop, have, no have, substance. It didn't have that that infusion of of an attempt to convey a specific emotion like the last two songs. It felt a, a significantly more hollow than the previous two tracks. What really got me in this song was that they, the guitar itself was kind of funky and had so much potential to do something. That's what bothered me most. While I'm not 100% that the bass was, was really that good, I thought it was just very there. <laughs> I don't know. I think the bass was interesting in this track, but they, again, this, I can only say this to a certain degree because the main problem throughout is that it went nowhere. No, well, it's progression. It's the it's not the progression of the track, but the chord progression itself. It's still using a lot of ones and fours and fives, and it's just you know these are the safest cycles that we use to to sort of return back to our home chord, stray just far enough, and then come back in a much not big way <laughs> which is what bothers me about the guitar because they were showing something different did nothing with it um vocally and lyrically it's very short there's about i don't know 11 lines 12 actual sung lines throughout the whole song so there's really no substance there to create a narrative to try to bring everything together it's it was it was it became kind of a hodgepodge by the end of it to me <laughs> i mean Let's just take those lines. You were smart. You played no part. You just thought what you thought. When I remember when you walked out of Garden State, because you had taste, you had taste. You had no time to waste. Oh, what happened to you, kid? Yes, Lord, what's happening now? All alone, alone and lost. You never played us wrong or stayed too long. It's kind of straightforward, actually. I can't really call it nonsensical. Granted, it's not no, much it's much time to build a... A, a narrative really but it's almost a straightforward thing nonsensical then is the wrong word it's just bland it was like it's 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 the kind of things you say to somebody that you saw maybe five years ago and you're getting together at a reunion or a wedding or something oh how you do oh yeah no no i yeah i heard about that it's it's as important as like Facebook status. It really doesn't well, bring anything. Well, I don't know about that, but it would keep in line with the with the previous track in terms of sort of renewing something and continuing a cycle. Um, so I do believe there is a, a a theme work cohesion on this album. I just think that this was an odd way to convey it, and and maybe it really could have used a little bit more on the nose. Granted, he is on the nose at times with lines like "I remembered when you walk out of Garden State because you had taste." But even that, in some ways, a little obtuse, because there's an implication there which kind of paints me a picture of the person, 
but only to a certain degree. I mean, this this at this point in the record, it, I feel it's pretty safe to say that we're getting a collection of tracks. I don't really see a through line at this no, point. No, I, I believe there's a through line. It's just it's there's there is the hinting of a true story they're trying to build. I'm just, I don't know. I think it's the snapshot nature of these of these tracks that's keeping it from being very cohesive because of the hey, fact hey. that they pick one vibe and they stick with it for the duration of the track. In that sense, it's it's as consistent as I called it when we began that's the review. That's true. Um, and speaking of vibes, we get a strong kind of vibe in the next song, the title track. Track seven is They Want My Soul, the title track of the record. And distinctly already, and Steve will explain musically why, we get a very strong summer vibe from the song. The, the, the chord work that they're using is very textbook as far as a summer jam, quote-unquote. Um, summer jam with a hint of melancholia. Um, you have basically a one chord, major one, and then it pulls back to the relative minor. So I think in this case it was your most common. It was C major, down to A minor. Back to C major, down to A minor. You have some interesting motion a little bit later to F, moving to A flat, interesting. But then from there, we kind of throw back, in my opinion, a little bit awkwardly to C major 7. Not that I didn't like where it landed. The C major 7 is this, it, it, it has the effect of a major 7 chord, which is kind of broad, sweet, a little bit romantic. And on that moment, he sings, the feeling goes on and on and on and on. So it has that Yes, that almost summer jam, if you see it that way, that effect of, like, you know, the summer of love, the summer that went on forever, and it's kind of, um, it's sweet in that sense. Well, that's why I said it was kind of textbook, because of how kind of, I mean, the lyrics that you sang, the the audience probably could have guessed it just based on the description, you know, because it's just that carry-on lyric of, you know, just on and on and on. Yeah. Well, my biggest comparison here is that it feels like track one, but better done more more flushed out with the layering and the melody because yeah you talk they're putting a little more variation between pieces but there's so many similarities just in well just about everything in the style of the rhythm and just the overall feel of the song itself because i really i don't feel anything here besides kind of introductory well i felt a little bit more here to be honest but yes it is it is somewhat textbook uh, I do have to call out that the, the full lyrics that, that culminates with that line, the feeling goes on and on and on, are, this is in the bridge, in the photographs, their eyes make a signal path, and the feeling goes on and on and on. So I think there's a little hint, and yes, that might go with some melancholic, uh, it's funny because I realize we're conveying somewhat of a, of a, of a contradiction. I mean, it's a summer. It's a it's a cool, sweet summer jam with like that melancholic nature. And well, that makes sense, though. Well, no, well, I mean that's, that's another thing. Like th- that was another observation actually that um, our friend Painless Parker made was that uh, the major chord does have a tendency to to broach both the emo and the and the summer jam at the same exact time. Yeah. Um, it has this inherent romance to it, and yet it always feels like there's just something a little bit missing. Perhaps because it's dense, it's not so keen and open as it is um perhaps it's just because that seven is right there next to the one there's just this slight little dissonance in there and we're not barely talking dissonances here this is a block chord for for christ's sakes it's just like it's straightforward in itself but at the same time yes you might find it used in in instances of nostalgia for instance things that long for for better times rather than actually being in the midst of them well, and also the theory. This, 
this song also falls into the same habits previous songs had. When it comes to you, you just explained more or less the flow of the chords and the the notes, and it does that the whole song. It just goes back to it. It doesn't do anything different. It just does that the whole song. And by the end, I'm like, okay, whatever. Like I, I, I it's falling into the same patterns every other yeah, song is falling into. What the problem is the fact that of of structure here. It's yeah. not. It's not a case of 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 that one moment. No, yeah, the one moment not. has 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 some credence to it but yet it, it's about the context here for instance that shift from the a flat to c major seven eh, you know it's it's not the strongest it's not the strongest p- pattern it's not the strongest progression in general these just aren't very strong motions i mean there are parts where it's enjoyable to me but you know it, regardless of what i'm noticing in the progression but still i can't completely ignore it because you get these little returns just like you said there's there's a carefree quality to it, and then you get this little solo at the end, this little guitar solo, which is a little bit spastic, but even that is on the same exact chord progression from earlier, the C back to the relative minors. So I, I feel like I'm in a loop with this song. I feel like I'm not being driven toward anything specific. Yeah, I just... I don't... It, it doesn't engage me like previous tracks had, and for sure it's falling into that same pattern we've seen before. I think that's my big problem, and I mean, we even we even get a sense of that in pieces in track eight. Uh, I just don't understand. Um, the thing that I think is really cool about it is this kind of uh, bluesyish sound that this song has, which makes it a little more engaging, at least in the intro. It. I don't know. It gives you a sense of something a little different, at least, even if it still falls into the same trap later that other songs have as well. Well, well this number... does have that ethereal build, though. Yeah, and it goes through the same thing that's happened a few other songs on this album. It takes this really, ooh, ooh, ooh introduction and then just kind of ignores it for the rest of the song. That's yeah. right. That's what I forgot. Yeah, there's a very... Precisely. 10-second ethereal intro that ends. It's literally as if someone edited two songs together they took this ethereal intro put it next to a full-fledged song and then just final cut and print and it's I almost upset. like it's almost i was like... upset about that until the song started actually picking up it took another 15 seconds but i i liked what it developed into i i think develop is the wrong word i like what it was after that <laughs> that's a much better like way to put it, it. it thing and yes. then another thing it's, thing it's, then it's, thing it's not pop up because the, the intro is almost like that 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 tremolo build that we got back in trap track two it was really nice really beautiful but that there it was integrated here it literally is what you said a thing then another thing Almost kind of like that, that whole thunderstorm deal in the beginning of the Judas Priest album, yes. episode 105. The very first track had the thunderstorm, and then all of a sudden it's like, eh, just pull out of that. We don't care the fact that we just dropped this bomb on you. No, we're just going to go into a song that really doesn't even imply anything close to it. Uh, so what it does go into is sort of a 6-8 blues, which is sweet, but, you know, maybe unmatched to the depth that we had in the intro, which I kind of wanted more of. Yeah, and I mean, even there's piano work in this song that's really interesting, too, about midway through. And what I really liked is that it stays on the high keys, but I feel like because it's on the high keys, it kind of falls behind the rest of the noise in the song. Yeah, this is what happened earlier, but much more so. Uh, in, but with, with that being said, it does let the bass do something here. The bass kind of goes for a walk. It, it by no means is off the leash that it 
had had for the rest of the album. But the bassist does start playing around and kind of breaks away from the rhythm uh, quarterly that, honestly, I, I don't remember from any other part of the album. I was more zoned in on the piano, I think, in this particular track. Um, only because there are times where it's really, really highlighted. Uh, one, for instance, is, yeah, it's true what you said, it is definitely more in the higher range. Um, but apart from that, there's one moment where it, it is the only thing playing. It's just this little four-bar, um, yeah, call it an interlude. It steps out of E major. Then all of a sudden, the piano is just playing, you know, a couple octaves higher, B minor. And it just hammers that on the beat for four beats, and then all of a sudden, we're right back into E minor. But this time, the piano gets a little bit of a solo here. Eh, not quite a solo, but more of like comp work. Still, it's showy. It is very showy in this track. And I think I did want a lot more from that. So did I. Well, because with the showy piano, the only thing you have else... I mean, like... There's John, nothing else, yeah. John is right. The bass is taking a walk a little bit, so it's strutting a bit. But like the guitar... It's just looping. Like, every other track has been looping. And I'm not talking looping like loop work on a loop box. I'm talking looping like they're playing the same riff over and over and over and over again. And when you do that on a guitar, especially when you're clearly strumming, not even picking, just full strums, it becomes really repetitive. Now, once again, we'll go back to Judas Priest and say we kind of harped on the riffs there. Here, because it's, it is slower and more of a saunter comparatively I'm more accepting for all these riffs in here they're not polarizing they're not really like getting to you or anything like that but yeah there's no inventiveness to it maybe go key high maybe go key low and just flow along with it there's it's no inventiveness really to this blues thing anyway don't get me wrong it's it's cool in like that Jerry Lee Lewis kind of way like when he's on the piano you're gonna be intrigued not that there's Jerry Lee Lewis caliber piano work here but the style could almost go back to it uh could think of some varying other like soul musicians that might go somewhere in the same territory uh, well if we're talking showiness I mean Little Richard did the same thing on the piano Little Richard right very very showy and and I can see that but I don't think it's enough to make the song stand out on its own it it, it was a standoutish moment but overall, the pieces don't really go anywhere or do anything with it. Which yeah. is which is a shame because I really like... Uh, in this case, I, I did enjoy the vocals, but I really like the lyrics and the way he was pleading in this song. And it just emotionally... It didn't quite mesh up for me. It gets lost. Yeah. It's, it's, it's every... There's no verse chorus. It's just verses one after the other that begin with... Well, you know I love you, and end with, I just don't understand. And he keeps explaining, I love you, but you do this, I don't understand why. I'm so good for you, but you do this, I don't understand why. Well, that's, that's the nature of blues, so we're in line, at least in that regard. It, I, I enjoy the way he, he phrases these things, though. And he actually does the lyrics for this song. I can see an actual depth of emotion being built here. It just falls flat with the way it's with with the specific music it's coupled with for me. I'm gonna be blunt. The only thing I care about in this track is the piano. Me too. Piano's it, cool. It's yeah. cool. There's that those those dissonances that you find in in some of the the little comp work. They're really they are interesting and they almost do imply exactly what you're what you're describing. That sort of look finding difficulty in in something that should be a good thing. 
That's the nature of the blues, and the blues scale really lends itself really easy to kind of going hammering on these dissonances, these little non-chord tones, because you want to feel the pl- the pain in the clashing, I guess you could say. I guess. The clashing I guess, of those. I guess Steve would say. In the clashing of those notes, for instance, you hear a flat five, just like oh yeah, you know, okay. that's you feel pain in that, even if it is in that kind of carefree six eight bluesy feel, you still feel that that uh, it's harsh. Yeah, well, and also blues, even when it was carefree, is still not. It's still that. blues. Like yeah. everybody knows blues. You're not gonna get, you know, unfortunately, as, carefree as 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 much of a carefree, as much of a 101 music style it is. It's just, it's tough to break boundaries in it these days. Yeah, you, you know, it's always fun to have a little jam, and I guess that is this this album's moment. Um, we now move on to track nine. Let, Let me be mine. First of all, weird phrasing. I actually like the title for it. Okay, I mean that's fair enough. I've mentioned that I like titles too for superficial reasons, but I don't know this song. At this point now, I'm just I'm falling into habits with the band. The this band is clearly making a point of grabbing song moments and using these kind of sonic moments to really impact you but in this song it's still a lot of cliche things that they're doing it's just your basic what are we calling it now alt indie what i mean it's just we're calling it spoon they're being very spooner spoonery the guitar spoonerific the guitar is is just hollow in this case like purely hollow i'm feeling nothing from it and the bass is so forefront as i'm listening to it I, I can't get away from it. Because of its repetitive nature, it just drones for me. Well, the reason this track feels repetitive is because, kind of like we had a blues in the previous track, well, now we have a swing thing, which is less of a progression rule than it is a rhythmic thing. Well, you hear that the deal with swing is that you feel this this constant pull from, like, the... Almost as if they were divided into triplets. Now they're not, but but swing kind of forces in a triplet imposition where there wouldn't normally be one. So then instead of going one and two and, instead you feel like one, three, one, three, one, three, one, three, one, as if there was like a one, two, three. So you're just omitting the two and then throwing in the three and the one over and over and over again. That's swing for you. But for a whole track... It's tough, especially if nothing else is being done. Not disparaging swing in the slightest. Well, because also, there's not very much of a goal here again. Well, think about swing. Also, swing is mostly designed for dancing, and what you can dance to isn't always enjoyable to listen to. Yeah. Something that you would dance to can be very engaging when you're moving your body to it, but just sitting and listening, it can feel a bit repetitive. Because we've said before, good dance music is often repetitive because you want to be able to keep moving to it. Yeah. And it's a shame because the 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 lyrics, not especially the vocals in this case, but the lyrics are kind of cool. Well, the vocals are at them. the forefront in this track too. You're they're more noticeable. Yeah, but there's there's something that it doesn't have an oomph for them. It doesn't have a, a a power behind them because what they're saying, even from the first lines, auction off what you love, it will come back sometime. Lock it up what you love and it says let me be mine that's a little profound no that's I a, that's a that's that might be a little more than a little profound but with <laughs> nothing to back it up it's that's just drowned am, it's yeah. totally drowned it's drowned like a lot of these lyrics are I mean I do 
see the i mean clearly this is some form of a of a breakup album i know that's kind of a uh a, a a narrow vision because i'm sure there's something a lot here that i am missing the problem is i think it really it is mixing and and choice of 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 framework for these vocals and these lyrics the framework very often doesn't match or it matches in the most yeah, common sense kind of way i mean blues for feeling bluesy for feeling like something's missing here swing uh, I can't even really come up with how this kind of matches, but, you it know... It doesn't match anywhere. And then the vocals, even though they're at a forefront, yeah, the lyrics only become more impactful once you read them. And we've said before, if you have to read the lyrics to really get it, it loses a little something. There's Well, there is something in the, in the progression in this track, but it's something that they've done before in this album and that they will keep doing for a little further. It's It's this relative minor... Pull. The same thing we had a, a couple tracks earlier, this this pull from like C major to A minor. I mean, we had that exact same, in the same key, we had that already. So, C major, A minor, one, minor six. A after a while, I'm just not, I'm not moved by that anymore. Things Don't get me wrong, it's a powerful pull, but give me some other context. Give me some flourish to create the power for that context. When you repeat that cycle over and over and over again, it becomes more of a drone than anything else. Well, it's the idea like in shock value stuff for visually, for example, like if you think horror movies, if you keep throwing jumps at people, eventually people stop jumping because they just expect the scare. In the same sense that if you have an emotionally impactful moment over and over and over and over again, it stops impacting you because you're expecting it. And this song does that. And that's why I got bored with it pretty easily. I mean, don't get me wrong, the, the, the timbres in this track, just again, that sonic stuff going on, is still very strong. The bass, I, I love the, ba the way the bass was working with the kick drum in this track. It was very punchy. I mean, that to me is kind of the essence of Spoon, is I feel like no matter what, they're going to create somewhat of a punch. And I, at least my, my ears are going to be, you know, attracted to some kind of resonance. And I feel like they've always had the ability to do that front to back. But I'm on the flip side on that. I'm, I'm At this point, I don't want that bass punch. Well, I felt that more in this track, frankly, than you felt from the bass in the previous track. But, you know, maybe that's just taste. Uh, this felt like the kind of band that I felt maybe could just keep playing. Maybe I would just want to dance to it. So I am a little bit in a sense of, of, uh, of carefree, perhaps, with this track. I've had it with some others. I guess I could sense that. I mean, but then also, the, you know, this track kind of just ends, and then we move into the final track of the record, New York Kiss. And at this point, I'm kind of tired of what I've dubbed their work as parlor tricks. And I know that sounds a little insulting, and I guess it sounds harsher than I mean it, but at this point in the album, we get what they do. They insert sound bites, they repeat the same groove and melody, and they sometimes vary up the percussion. This was yet another track where they pulled the, the familiar relative minor pull. This time from A major down to F sharp minor. It, it's the same progression. And it's like they just change the key, but it's the same progression. It's the same goal they're trying to hit. I'm willing to be forgiving, but when you're doing the same thing over and over again, not in just a song or several songs, but throughout an entire record, if that's your go-to... Great, and I get that. And there are plenty of bands that I've liked more and less who do the same thing. But, I don't know, still make it your own. Do something else with it. If you're going to keep doing those pulls, 
have something else accenting those pulls. If you're doing those pulls with the guitar, then have the piano doing something else. I mean, they had a harp. They had a harp in a song. That means someone in the band plays a harp. Where was the harp in the rest of the record? At least it would have added... Could have been a synthesized harp. We don't know. But Either but, way, it was cool. Yeah, and if they had done those chord changes, the major to minor, or vice versa, with the harp, at least it would have been a little more engaging, or authentic, or different, or something. Yes, the blandness really bleeds through. And especially in this track. This. Especially, I really, really dislike the choruses. The first time I really can point at something and say, I didn't like it. Or not just felt neutral. This, I was almost dejected listening to these choruses. They were so kind of passe at this point. I didn't want them anymore. I was done. I was done. I rather like the lyrics here. From your New York kiss, mm, your New York kiss. Now it's just another place, a place your memory owns. See, these are kind of provocative lines, but I have a sense that maybe in this in this instance and in this album, the tools that Spoon is used to do not, they don't befit these these lyrics. Well, I wouldn't even go that far. I'd just say that the lyrics are getting so lost and washed away by everything else that... That you'll, Even, be, you'll be moved if you read them as poetry. Not necessarily to impugn all the music here. I'm saying there's just no integration. And there's a difference. Like, we've had other bands where you don't get the full scope of the lyrics without reading them. But listening, you get a sense that there's something with the lyrics. That there's something behind it. And then we go back and read them and find more of a message. But when you don't get a sense of anything until you've read the lyrics on whole, that's a problem, it's I the, feel. It's the case of, of two things. Music and lyrics perhaps have been done separately and then fused together, or at least it comes off that way. It seems Two separate entity, entities that were, that were merged for the sake of, of, of having a song. Yeah. You know, that comes off as not offensive, <laughs> not um, off the wall, but safe and could be better. Yeah. I mean, the, the, uh, and for conclusion to an album, like we've already mentioned and made it clear that Painless was here listening with, with us. He says... I got up after we listened to this song and had finished. I got up to use the restroom and he said, oh, are we pausing it or is that it? Yes, that was it. The album ended. I mean, it just kind of ended. It was very, yeah, there was really no finality to this, which lends me, I mean, more bolsters my opinion that these are really just a collection of snapshots more than anything. I I very much doubt there's much of a narrative arc, uh, a linear narrative arc, Again, I have this theory that there's some semblance of a breakup here and that there were issues, but I, I hate to leave it so so thin as that. Right, well, and we've had albums already that we've reviewed I recently know there's more that here. was stronger. Uh, there might be, but we'd have, we have to hunt for it. The, the album, I think, kind of focuses on two individuals, but I wouldn't even say issues. They don't really present any of the issues throughout this. This is almost an album about life. That's it. I mean, look at the tr- first track, Rent <laughs> we I Pay. We were together, we were apart, we broke up, I don't know, no, I don't understand. Just, the end, you're in my mind. Just look at the album titles. Oh, Rent no. I Pay. There's nothing Rainy worse than Taxi. a postmodernist gray area album. <laughs> knock Knock. You know, uh, the, be, Let Me Be Mine. I just don't understand. These are very plain titles for the most part. Not depicting everyday life, and there's nothing wrong with that, but there was nothing standoutish to make us interested in this everyday life. At least for me, I don't know. You know what it is. I mean, it's also a case of of not really going balls to the wall in certain things because of the fact that you know 
They Might Be Giants never wrote about anything specific. They had their snapshot life songs, too, that were quirky in their own way. I'd almost equate uh, the two bands, at, at least in a certain way, in, in overall effect. But They Might Be Giants were balls-to-the-wall, borderline comedy because of the way they, they treated their songs and phrased them as, as, as sort of musical experiments rather than anything else. You could say that these, the, that these tracks are a form of, of sonic experimentation, but they just don't go far enough. They're not, they're not framed that way. And with that, unless you have more to add, I will start with the wrap-up. Uh, no, go ahead. Okay. Um, I... Well, with Spoon, I really never know what to expect. I'll just put that out there. They like to do weird things. Not really, really weird. Not truly experimental. We're not saying they're creating a genre or something like that here. But after 20 years of making music, I know where they're going to go. I just don't know how they're going to get there. None of the songs are really bad. They are all just listenable, mostly enjoyable songs. But that just keeps them as mediocre pieces. For the most part, I really do like Trek 4, Trek 5, Do You and Knock Knock Knock. It, it's got creativity there that I was hoping this whole album would have. Because I looked it up, I was right, Do You was a single. And that's the song I actually recognized as soon as it started playing. I heard it on the radio a bunch of times. I enjoy it a lot. Rainy Taxi also had some flair to it, a... A moody oddball of a song. But for the most part, the flair gets drowned out by the mediocrity in a lot of the pieces they're doing. It's it's repetition. It's safety. I want boundaries being pushed. That's what we always talk about. We want the next big thing. That's how you get five-star ratings. That's, just, that's how you get more than four-star ratings. Cohesion in arc. Cohesion in theme. Well, the, there seems to be a lot of cohesion in the rhythm. That's, that's just the style of the bass, style of the guitar. That's, the, that's not a good form of cohesion. But it's, it's still pleasant to listen to. It's just forgettable. So, factoring in the fact that, that there are a few exceptions, this is a, a 3-2-5. It's only really just above the crowd. And next year I could see myself probably forgetting even the songs I like. All right. Um, Steve made some interesting comparisons at the beginning to other bands in the same vein that we'd reviewed. Queens of the Stone Age, Arctic Monkeys. Um, what was the other one you mentioned? Jack White. And Jack White. But with those three artists, I found other things to be engaged by. And I actually falsely, I felt falsely reviewed Queens of the Stone Age after getting pieces of information that I should have found in advance it added a dynamic to the album that really made it stand out. Finding out that Josh Homme had actually been dead for like three minutes, and he wrote this album to reflect that moment in his life, both very specifically and around it, added a dynamic to that narrative that I didn't really understand in the beginning. With Arctic Monkeys, they kind of just grew on me over time, but I recognized the talent that was there. Jack White, I loved. I thought I was over the moon about it. Even though there were some bland moments, overall I really was engaged by the unique things he tried. And that narrative that we found was actually quite solid. Here though, while there are this, all similar styles of bands with minor variances, or some major points, 
there was no aha moment for this band. Now, to say that if I keep listening, maybe I'll fall in love with the record, it's possible. Um, it might be a record that needs to grow on me. I mean, again, like John said, I didn't hate anything. But there were a lot of moments where I was bored. I, like, I always am pretty hard on Steve when he says he's specifically very bored in songs because I feel like there's something to find in some of those moments. But I get it in this album. I really do, uh, musically. I don't always see it musically, but in this album, I certainly do. Because there are a lot of moments where, especially towards the end, I was just like, well, can we get to the next song already? Like, this is the same thing over and over again. And, I mean, I, I, my my overall on this album is not very different from John's. I feel like it's above average in the sense that it's not bad and that it they do some interesting things like the harp work, the piano work, some of the interlude moments. Like, this is where I would take the Steve stance that I would pluck parts of these songs out and listen to them over and over again because I really enjoy what they have to offer. But whole songs, I don't know that I would go back to, uh, what was it, which had the harp, um, Inside Out, to listen to the whole song. But I'd go back for the harp parts because I thought those were really pretty. <laughs> but I don't know that I'd listen to the whole song straight through. You know, and Do You really stood out. It was a good single, but I agree with John. A year from now, I don't even know that I'll remember Do You. I mean, there are plenty of songs we reviewed on mediocre albums from last year that I barely remember. Like, if you asked me what any of the songs sounded like on the Maroon 5 record that we reviewed in the third episode, third episode, right? Fourth. Fourth. I Besides Moves Like Jagger, which was the single, and I heard a lot of, I'd be hard-pressed to tell you what the other one sounded like. And that was only two year, a little over two years ago. So I think this record's very forgettable, which is why I don't even know if I can give it a 2.5. It's just barely above average for me. I think it's a 3.1. It's got... You mean 3.1. You said 2.5 earlier. Oh, did I? Yes. I meant... Yes. John rated it a, a 3.25. Yes. Which is what I meant. I don't even give it that much credit. I think it's a 3.1. It's just, it's a little bit above average. It's got (laughs) moments that I really enjoy. But overall, if it weren't for those minor moments, it would be average. Because the looping of the rhythms in most of them and the melodies is incredibly average. That's what pop music does. First chorus, first chorus. We complain about it all the time. So this was a 3.1 for me. I mean, just to go back to the um, comparisons that I made and then you made, which is to say Queens of the Stone Age, Arctic Monkeys, Jack White. I know these may seem like odd bands to pull, but the reason I pull them is because I do feel that these are the closest things we have to modern rock. And it's funny how that in the beginning of of this whole project, it was almost like a search for like, hmm, who's still rock these days? And then I realized, I don't think I care. <laughs> I want a band that's unique. I don't really want it. I can't, I can't go so far... Uh, as you, Matt, to to really defend um, Queens of the Stone Age, because unfortunately, even despite the the theme of him, of of it being about his near-death experience, I I still don't think the album quite lived up to it for me. Um, Arctic Monkeys, enjoyable. Still not sure if I'm really going back to it. Jack White, yes, the theme was strong, but the music, I'm sorry to say, is right in line with this, and I think I overrated it. I know it was over the, over four, and that was sheerly for theme, because sometimes theme really does overshadow uh, the music itself. Now, this album suffers because of the fact that the theme is just not 
it's either it's not there terribly or it's not prevalent. It's not hoisted up. I mean, that was the one thing the Jack White album really did have going for it, is that even though it was mostly music of a, of a been-there-done-that kind of nature, there's just some folk tracks there which were absolutely perfect for host, hoisting up the theme because it's him and a guitar listening clearly to his vocals so you can't ignore some of the, what I felt, impactful things that he was trying to convey. So, brings me back to this. I mean, I also have to be mindful of the fact that uh, just recently we did several uh, breakup albums. I mean, our most, um, I suppose our marginally most successful album in terms of just being a breakup album was probably Future Island Singles, but that was more than a breakup album because it was really about the aftermath of a breakup, which was interesting in its own right. So at least I can define the subcategory within that broad category. Here, I just have the category. So I'm kind of left with this wishy-washy, I don't know what to do with it feeling because it just, it, it doesn't match up with the music. So then I go over to the music. Music itself is, I'm afraid, right in line with all those other bands. It's bare bones, it's rock. It's not as smooth as I recall from some of those mid-2000s albums. Um, but then again, I would have to revisit those albums. They also may have been a part of a um, product of the times kind of thing, in which case I would never have been so harsh on them in the mid-2000s when that thing was sort of novel. But a decade later, as we are now pretty much in the midst of this new decade, can't really call it novel anymore. It's just perpetuating the stuff from recently. You don't have that throwback to say, ah, this is revisiting things from earlier. It's just too fresh to really hit me very hard. So I think that leaves me with just one thing. And that is, from a nostalgia perspective, I still generally enjoy the vibes of these tracks. Even if it be a riff that continues over and over and over, they picked a good riff. Even if it is the progression that is getting a little tiring, I'm noticing it by the fourth time they're they're going toward this progression now. It's still not a bad progression. It's still phrased okay. There's still in the instrumentation there to sort of support that next big chord. It's just there are no mind-blowing moments, except perhaps the harp in which we get the ideas that harken toward, um, I guess you could say, grander ideas. But we just don't get them in a big way. We get doses. I think that leads me right where John placed this, uh, 325. It offers doses of more than what it is. Alright, so, I'm gonna do what Matt does. Uh, it's a listen. It's not a skip. It's not quite a buy. If you like Spoon, you're probably going to buy it anyway. I actually haven't done that in like five weeks. I kind of dropped it. I kind of wanted to do it. You totally have. It's a solid listen. I mean, this is... If I can't remember to do it, it's not that important. That's how I felt about it. Oh, you're saying me doing it is unimportant? No, I'm saying I couldn't remember to do it. But you can finish your thought. No, he's he's totally disparaging you. You live in the past, man. And once again, we're in so five weeks each ago. Other. So five weeks ago. Oh, okay. Um, and I guess now we'll we'll go into our discussion for the week, which has a kind of a connection to this, and a kind of a connection to the last time the three of us got together and just discussed something. 
um, previously, two episodes ago, it was two episodes ago, right? When we discussed indie and pop, and how these words are used as terms. That was the main topic for episode 106, yes. Well, there's another term, and it's a term we've, we've used today to some extent, and we have used a lot in the past, alternative. Now, the word alternative, what it means today, what it means 10 years ago, what it means 30 years ago, completely different terms. Because alternative, specifically alternative rock, which is where all this comes from, is, is just music, rock and, rock and roll, classic rock, punk. These were the rocks of the time during the early 80s. So anything that was different was just called alternative. Uh, yeah, and I mean, like in the early to mid-90s, bands that were not rock and roll but weren't punk or metal were were classified this way. Bands like Matchbox 20, Third Eye Blind, even Eve 6. Well, REM and Nirvana. You can't also, really get two bands that when you when you look at their discography really so really different. were different. And but while still classified the, under that. Yeah, they were still under the pantheon of alternative rock. Now, Nirvana themselves um birthed kinda, the movement kind of did grunge. While well, REM not... stayed the most what we would now refer to as alternative rock the word alternative has undergone a kind of a metamorphosis because when you look in your music sections you see alt rock and it still kind of means that same sort of initial idea if it's not easy to identify as classic pop jazz or what have you if it's not such a specific genre if but if it's kind of like rock and roll it kind of it gets thrown in there even to this day which is a shame because I kind of want the word alternative to be disused. I have, I have disagree with you, but also half agree. That well, fifty percent would leave fifty percent. So, I disagree with you in the way that the word alt I do not think has changed much. I think it has always meant one thing: labels who just don't know where to place you. Yeah, I think that's the reason why it was born. Now, it could have existed much earlier. For instance, I believe it could have existed as early as New Wave. And it could have been used to describe New Wave as New Wave. Because it was an alternative to disco dance or, or just rock. Just well, rock in general. I mean, it was more similar to rock been, than disco dance. Yeah. But Had they not coined the phrase punk rock, it would have been alt. Alternative would have fitted to the T because it, it could was have the also direct been in the same thing. alternative type of rock. So basically, it's all about whether a name beats you to this incredibly generic title. Well, right? I think if a name was able to reach you as punk did, as new wave did, well, then they didn't get this alternative thing because, well, they just didn't get that lazy. <laughs> but then finally, they got lazy in the '90s, and then it was just like, ah, I don't know where to place you. You're alternative. You're alternative alternative to what else exists and then the name stuck and it's become this go-to thing for the last 20 years and people are retroactively changing genres that's the whole thing the first time you get math rock the first time you get emo you get grunge you get dream pop you get thrown into the alternative scene and eventually well you go back and go yeah that band it's not alternative we're gonna call it indie we're going to call it Britpop. We're going to call it post what have you. There's so many different words that we've used to define what once was known alternative rock. 
That's why I don't like it as a term, as an actual, quote, genre. Because it's just, we haven't named you yet. Well, yeah, yeah no, but... I, I mean, in the end, I agree. But at the same time, there's also that you would you would disparage so many bands and put have them placeless if you were just to withdraw the name alternative. Yes, it might it might end up forcing you to get a little bit more creative in certain areas and, and coming up with, with different names for you. But I think it would take a lot of time because I think the new the new trend as of today at least is to try varying fusions or just be as different as your neighbor because of the fact that we live in such a cacophony of a culture induced society we have so much at our at our at our doorstep so much we can check out that it's just at the end of the day how are you going to sift through it all well also you have to think that genre wise this stuff doesn't just only happen then and not happen now genre stupid genre names i guess essentially is what i'm trying to say or odd placement comes up all the time take take new metal for example New metal sounds like N-E-W metal. Like, oh, it's just new metal as opposed to the old metal. But it's actually spelled N-U with umlauts to make it be a little more creative. But there, there's, no, there's no difference. It still means the same thing. They're trying to identify this, this new metal music that they can't identify. They're calling new metal. Disturbed isn't new metal anymore. It no. leans more towards industrial or heavy rock. Like... Bands like Linkin Park or Limp Biscuit aren't new metal anymore. They're rap rock or trance rock or something. The, these genres are created to fill a gap until we can be cleverer. Is essentially the gist. They're created, I think, even more so, just to fill. Well, yeah, to fill the fill gap, but also they're created for the people. They're not created for the artist. No, the artist could care less. What they're they're are merely reflections of the time. Well, that's, that's always been the case. We've reflections of our perceptions. Yeah. But this this isn't just alternative rock, the term that, that I have. That, that's a problem because so many things... It's hard to define different versions of classic rock. Because while you have the big umbrella of classic rock and how it is separate from rock and roll, and you do have some sub-genres with psychedelic, with experimental, with prog. Um, it's, it's hard to say, well, you can have two different classic rock bands. Uh, Steve mentioned one of my favorite to represent the epitome of classic rock, the Rolling Stones. They, I guess, kind of are all classic rock songs, everything the Stones has done. It's, 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 they're kind of like the genre itself. But when we start talking about bands that were a little more experimental, but are still under the umbrella, I mean, the perfect example is the Beatles, their, their repertoire is pretty much called classic rock, and yet I could name ten different genres just going along album by album. Sure, but then again, even those genres that you'd be naming, I feel like would be genres that were birthed because of them not all sometimes they were going back themselves but a lot of times they were just moving in a new direction that in turn uh, let's say a band may have been inspired by that one particular track like for instance helter skelter punk totally yeah. started off either either punk or even a little bit of heavy metal like you could think of of much heavier bands from the 70s that i'm sure pulled from helter skelter in some 
in some way or had heard it once and said, I'm going to further this. Then all of a sudden they do, and now that band becomes the progenitor of the genre. So a band that pushes the boundaries of a song that was pushing the boundaries of a very safe genre. And also you have to These think, are the kind of progressions, stepwise motion. Hindsight is twenty twenty. When the Beatles were making Helter Skelter, there was no such thing as punk rock. So it could not possibly have been labeled like that. So it falls into this, this place where it, it, it now we could identify a lot of Beatles songs as other genres, but at the time they couldn't. So they're not specifying it now either because they still fall under the umbrella because the majority of their songs still lean towards classic rock. Whereas a band like, for example, our band today, would you consider Spoon alt-rock? I would consider them indie pop rock. Steve? With heavy infusions of whatever the heck they feel like doing. This was, this ended up being more indie than alt at the end of the day, just because I saw them as looking back. Granted, they're considered alt by, by many people, but again, what is alt for the 90s has definitely changed. Yeah. so familiar now. Well, yeah, what was underground for the 90s is laughable now. 90% of alt music from the 90s is now pop rock. But, I mean, think about the band, the three bands I mentioned earlier. Matchbox 20, Eve 6, and Third Eye Blind. They're all pretty much pop rock or alt pop. You know, they lean more towards pop because it's become more common to hear that sound. Right, here's something, though, because not everything from the 90s, I, I shouldn't speak so broadly, not everything from the 90s, you know, that was underground or alt is laughable because that assumes that it was followed up upon. There's some things that are dead ends and they will always, well, not always be, but they might be revisited at times, but there's lots of things that are dead ends just because not enough people caught on to it to create a new trend out of it. I, I've frequently talked about this in terms of some classical genres, but I could also apply it to the same 90s artists like Jeff Buckley. I don't know a lot of art, modern artists that have borrowed directly from Jeff Buckley, or if they did so, it would require them moving in a direction that ended up being so different from Jeff Buckley that eh, you barely even notice it anymore. You would only know it if they said it, and that's about it. But I would consider that to be almost a, a, a dead end, and I would certainly call Jeff Buckley alternative rock for the 90s because of exactly the same thing. I don't know where else to put, to put it. The progression, I mean, it, it, none of his tracks had a, had a pop structure to them, but yet they were unquestionably rock-influenced. Maybe doses of folk, but that's incidental. Beyond that, it's all about just doing something different enough. And that's why they attributed the label to him. Well, I think alt is also a thing. Like we've discussed at length with pop, that it doesn't mean what it used to. I think yeah. alt is the other way. Yes. Alt. Indie can be very easily popified. But I feel like alt, the word alternative always means it's an alternative to something. It's always an alternative to something. And yes. I feel like alt, alt still means that now. In the At same, its core, it still means alternative to something else in the mainstream or that is well known. In the well, same way we characterized indie as sort of looking back, I definitely think alt is the one that's looking forward. Or, yeah. or at least looking sideways somewhere else other than what, what people expect to hear. Yeah. Because they're trying to, you know, it's only natural to want to stand out in a crowd. How else would you be recognized? Yes, it is also very easy to be the best of the crowd. Actually, I just didn't say that's easy, but if you fall into the crowd and it's the crowd is already popularized, then perhaps you're more of a shoe in for the job. But 
you know, lots of artists go into this with some kind of self-respect thing where they want to be different. They want to further music as an art form, not just fit in the same genre. So I do tend to respect alternative music artists uh, a little more for that for that reason than perhaps I do indie. Not that I ever disliked indie, but, you know, it's just like what I said about about today. I feel like it's more of a passing phase with indie because when you're looking back, then you can only be that one instance of novelty. Well, that's where John drew the similarities a few weeks ago with indie and pop. They're both genres that you could very easily fall out of or become passe, I feel. Whereas alt, because it's always something that's changing or being an alternative to what's mainstream, it always is looking a little bit ahead, like you said. Well, it's also a term that tends to get wishy-washy because you can never use it to pin something down. But that's its purpose. But that's... But that's its purpose. The, I understand that, that it's, it's that's the purpose of the term alt. The issue is it brings nothing to the table besides saying, I don't know. But that's a purpose. <laughs> you can't say that that's nothing. Because people want to categorize things. By nature, you want to put things in a place. Square peg, round hole. Like, if you can't get something to fit somewhere, it becomes chaotic. Look at movies that don't fit a specific genre. In theaters, they plummet half the time. Look at Scott Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim had no genre. Technically, it mm. was a romantic movie. It was a romantic it was all, comedy. Technically, but it wasn't. Because yeah, it there, was. No, it wasn't. Because it also had indie romance in it. It had action in it. It was a video game movie. Because it didn't just fall... It didn't fall perfectly action, into romantic Action, adventure, comedy. romance. But then again, a lot of those have been done. Granted, but, not in the same way. Well, my point is, is that it didn't fit perfectly, and so it washed over people. People th just thought it was another romantic comedy and ignored it, even though it was a gem. But, but, and this is where, this is my, this is my rebuttal to that. Everybody, everybody is coming up with the fusion genre titles. We complain about it because post-wave, punk, pop, prog, progressive. Because you want to use every P that's out there. And prog and progressive are different enough for you. Everybody is labeling themselves some weird amalgamation of fusion genres. What's the point of having alt if everybody is willing to get so specific if everybody is saying well we are ambient pop which you can kind of think well maybe i kind of i get that i get that technically in the most technical sense that is just pop but they're throwing in that extra word they're making up genres to fit the thing i don't like it but honestly i think i dislike the fact that alt rock is just being used as the catch-all I'd rather get a four-word explanation because I have a much better idea of what I'm getting myself into. Neo-grunge punk will be one very specific idea in my mind, as opposed to neo-punk grunge. <laughs> Both should be alt-punk. That's all they are, really. Well, see, I respect, the core, I, respect punk. I respect what you're going for. I mean, I, I do think it helps to be specific because it's the point of these things to, be, get, to begin with is you want them to be specific in order to steer an audience in the right direction, just like you said with, with Scott Pilgrim, Matt. Obviously, if, if, if people could be a little bit more... I guess if people would broaden their terminology, then maybe that movie would have done a little bit better. Um, so the same thing will apply to music. But I guess the only problem is that, is that when you start getting 
uber specific, then you also increase your chances of building up expectations that will not match what the music is. Because, for instance, you may have your idea of neo-grunge punk, but then again, when you actually listen to that said mystery band, maybe absolutely nothing like it. No, no, no. One guy's interpretation. Just that would perk my interest more than just it being alt-rock. That by itself would just perk my interest because they're throwing together something I haven't seen before. And the mis the misnomer is if it says alt rock, it's something you've seen before. That's what it boils down to. In mainstream, when you throw alt rock on it, it's just alt rock. It doesn't actually explain anything of what they're maybe. But that would to help you. Alternative to what are they alternative to? No, what I'm saying is that would help you, and I understand why you are more keen to see that. But at the same time, it would also marginalize other people. In other words, it's not this, this, this catch-all thing where like everyone is sitting out there like you are like the waiting to to see the more specific term that would perk their interest. A lot of people have their had their issues against certain genres, in which case they hear neo-grunge punk and they might have an issue with grunge, despite the fact that the neo is really what they should be focusing on and how much different it does, a different twist, how much of a different twist it places on this original genre is enough to make it new and unique and potentially uh, inviting to that person's tastes. The second they see grunge, they're not gonna, they're never gonna play it. And that would be a bit of a loss. In which case that's just the flip side. What I'm saying is that you are proposing the fact that there are people out like you, eager to hear new things. That would be an advantage to the band. But there's also people who think the opposite way. That would be a disadvantage. It's all marketing terminology. And in general, they've probably proven that when you leave something as vague as alt, it's more likely that people will investigate because it's it's a bag of tricks. You don't know what you're getting. But it, it, it... Then why don't they just call it rock? Why don't they just say rock? Because there's... Rock is even broader than alt-rock. Ah, but if you're going to say new rock, rock from today, you're talking about alt-rock because they never actually label something as just rock anymore. No, when I mentioned indie before, I think indie very often pulls from the, the very standard, predictable progression of rock as it's existed for the last 50 years. It goes exactly where you'd think it would go. Sometimes it even dips back. That's what I define indie rock as. And it was cool to me a decade ago. It's kind of lost its edge, as I described earlier. And also the other thing is, I don't think bands are going out and identifying their genres. How you said before, the bands are picking what their genre is. It's not. All of these terms, Steve's is right, is, is mostly marketing related. It's mostly to tell the consumer what the band is. And I get that you would prefer more specifics. But I know me personally, I was very for a very long time biased against folk and country because I thought, A, they were the same, which I was wrong, although they do have overlap. But if I saw country or folk on a band, I would ignore it. But then if I would hear that a band was alt-rock and they were folk-influenced, but I didn't know they were folk-influenced, I just saw alt-rock, I would go pursue them. This was a while ago. Now, obviously, I'm much more open to everything because we bring great and terrible things on this podcast constantly. And we're often searching by genre just to bring something different because we're tired of hearing the same thing. But I think Steve's right. I think the weight for the public and the marketing mind of specific versus general, marketing will always lean more towards general. Yeah. Every time. 
and it ends up hurting bands that I that I even enjoy because yeah. of the fact that I, I I at this point am getting a little tired of the term indie folk because in the same way we talked about it you know borrowing from the past it's like how long is this going to go on because usually when I arrive at these bands I'm not blown away by what they do I'm intrigued by what they do but not blown away it still all strikes me as a been there done that kind of thing because no band has in my opinion amounted to the the creativity of my signature go-to indie folk band still under the same exact genre and that is the decemberists well to me i i don't think they've been matched in their field i would agree I think they own it and i think in many ways there's a lot of other bands that are sort of trying to to sort of have their own little spin and it just kind of falls flat here and there there's some cases where the the label and some to some extent the the choice in pursuing the label because it, it's not true in every instance in these cases i do believe that the band is pursuing the the label okay i, I mean, mean if you're folk then you flat out say you were folk yeah, yeah, sure, <laughs> of course i mean in those cases for sure it's hard to ignore um i think the fusion genres is where it's more consumer for the benefit of the consumer base right i, I will say that i do agree with john that it's frustrating to have these massive amounts of bands dumped into one category but I just I don't think anything will ever come of it because by nature humans want to dump things into a category and people identify with one large category better than super hyper specific categories whether that's right or wrong is irrelevant because I think it's just the natural pattern of marketing and grouping I just think it boils down to the fact I dislike how imprecise it is because when you get The Strokes, Arctic Monkeys, Interpol, U2, Muse, Foo Fires, Oasis, Pearl Jam, all thrown together under that one name, Alt-Rock, it means nothing because there's so little overlap through the actual specifics of what these bands can and do do that... It, it means that you're going to be shooting blind just to find new music. I like alt-rock, but that doesn't narrow it down. What do you actually like? Well, yeah, sometimes you stumble upon something that's specifically a lot different than what you know, but you'll fall in love with it. But at the same time, it means that while you, you want to listen to grunge or Britpop, you want to focus on that. You want to be able to just really get into that genre. Maybe you want to find similar bands like it. But when you're, like, Slacker Radio is terrible for this. I don't listen to their alternative rock stations because they're so not specific. When I'm listening to one band, like, say I'm listening to, to Weezer, they throw on Nirvana, they throw on other grunge, they throw on emo. I don't understand why, you know, Ratitude or the Red Album of Weezer... And I consider the Red Album to still be, quote, alt-rock, would be Smells Like Team Spirit. There really is a difference between these styles of music. So, yeah, it does allow people to get an uh, initial impression or just to be able to find it more easily, maybe. And, yeah, it does do good things so that you don't get scared by the names. And I can see that definitely being a, a, a possibility. But at the same time, it keeps... It, 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 it loses your ability to really focus on the types of music you like. I could agree with that. I think the problem is that 
you run other risks with this hyper specificity that you're advocating here. And that is the fact that when you're overly specific, then you're pigeonholing. And that, that doesn't just work against the, the, um, the, the, the listeners, but it also works against the band because it, it means the band, when they have minute differences from track to track, they're bound never to be, li be able to live up to this hyper-specific title that was supposed to define the band. Because even though we have this overall genre that we can place the band into, you know that each album is going to have a character to its own, each track is going to have a character to its own, but now all of a sudden you're saying, no, don't be creative. Stay within your, your mark, because that's all you're going to be sought for. I have a relatively related point. So years ago, when I first interviewed Che for the Dark Lord, I was talking to him about nerdcore hip-hop, which was, you know, at, which MC Frontalot was at the forefront and gladly wears that label, even though it is hyper-specific and can be considered limiting. He's proud of that title because it's where he raps. He is ner his raps are often or almost always nerdy. When I mentioned that Shave for the Dark Lord to him that he was in this genre, he's like, well, I sort of am. Because he doesn't want to be pigeon-held to nerdcore, not because he doesn't like the genre or he's ungrateful for being a part of that community, because it is a very tight community. It's mostly because he doesn't always rap about nerdy things. Like, his whole new album, I'm Sick Passenger, which I've talked about before, there's a song called Buama Ghost, which is a fairly nerdy song. He references Ghostbusters, he references other ghost-related movies and, and, and lore. But then he has a song, you know, like Amender at the end, which is just about him personally making amends for all the mistakes he's made. That's not nerdcore. That's him singing a honest song about amends he wants to make. But he's still under that label, but it can be difficult because if the label is followed too harshly, he could get panned for that. He wasn't. People, you know, people were very receptive to that record because it was very personal. And, I but, think this is a perfect example, speaking to what I'm saying, yeah. pigeonholing um, from the perspective of the artist. Yes. I mean, obviously, artists want room to be creative. And the second the genre is, is, is labeled so firmly, then they are deprived from that room. Not necessarily that they can't. Like in your instance, yes, he still goes on and still raps about other things. But then you've built this expectation around a new fan base where people are following the genre more than they're following you. That's yeah. not beneficial to you as an artist. I mean, but genres, hyper-specific genres can be helpful because, like, I listen to a lot of nerdcore rap because of MC Frontalot initially, and I just spread out through the genre and found tons of other artists I like thanks to that genre. So it, it's a double-edged sword. Also, like, MC Frontalot has a skit with Will Wheaton where... Will Wheaton talk? They talk to each other, and he's like, "Well, you know, Will I, I, Will Wheaton's like, I want to drop some fresh rhymes on you. Um, you know, would you mind?" He's like, "No." And then he starts rapping about shellfish, and he's like, "Are all your songs about shellfish?" And he's like, "Yeah, I've invented a new genre called shellfish core rap." And MC Frontalot, who created nerdcore or is one of the creators, went, "Well, don't you think that would be a little limiting?" And Will Wheaton's like, "Will it? Will it?" You know, so it's calling attention to that exact thing in a very humorous way. Yeah. Well, then maybe just don't get super specific. Maybe what I really would like is take alt rock out of your out of your vocabulary, but 
try to like legitimately try to figure out I'm talking to the execs that name everything <laughs> three four like major genres because alternative could could potentially be broken down that broadly right now because with all of the indie that gets grouped into alternative and I'm talking less the term indie and more the actual early indie rock specifically that that can actually be a legitimate spot in a record store separate than just alt rock instead of just throwing everything in because when you when you think about it back in 92 I think it was uh Weezer Puddle of Mud Blink 182 I know they those three came out the same year and I forget Everclear I believe was also that same year all formed first yeah. uh, first albums when they all came out uh grunge is what Puddle of Mud is yeah. Weezer, Weezer, I would say at the time and for a long time was specifically alternative rock, like they were the personification of that sound because of the the way they do did that. But even now, that might be band, uh, grunt, uh, garage band, garage rock, to some extent. Their very first albums, Blink, Blink. They were I want to say, I want to say, one, yeah, they were pop punk, but they were called alt rock. Right, come on, yes, they I were. wouldn't question anyone who even. I yeah, mean, I don't sometimes that at you all. might see these labels under under, well, made by people who don't have that broader range of music knowledge. In and which case, in mind, they'll hear something that sounds slightly different to their normal uh, narrow vision, and they're like, "Oh, that must be alternative." Well, also, meanwhile, you, it's like been around for years. You got to consider. Um, places where genres are heavily used like in modern day Wikipedia Wikipedia is user edited so people m the people putting those labels might not have a freaking clue what they're talking about yeah totally and, so, and then but it's I only also, in hindsight that we're actually saying that well this band was grunge this band was because hindsight is twenty twenty. it's harder it's easier to figure out what something is when you have time to look back when you're in it, it's not always easy to see. Well, then I guess my complaint boils down to this. I wish they would have some more foresight in naming what a band is. In a trying to attempt to. I, I think it's like almost impossible to have foresight when it comes to music. No musician from oh, any oh, don't era get, don't get could have predicted what, what followed. I don't get super specific or anything like that. Don't. Uh, by all means, don't, don't, don't do the super fusion genre names. But at least try to be a little bit better in doing it. Keep in mind also... Fair, a but lot I, I find myself now, just at this point, I find myself more on the uh, complete opposite end here. Just because the more I think about varying bands that I've been exposed to that were labeled alternative rock, I play this little game with myself where I try to think, what else would I call them? Often, I have no answer. In which case, I gotta say, maybe they're doing something right. Yeah. Hmm? I can't make it, but, I can't make it but Matt is right. Hindsight will tell. Hindsight yeah. may relabel them in another ten years. Yeah, because well, that like I mean like like, like now we can look to the sixties and seventies. Well, that album started psychedelic. That started prog. That started punk. Who knows? That we started might, disco. So on and so forth. We might start calling it something. Like I could make up a name for it. It won't be anything official, but I could call it something like post indie. Going with that. I'm going with that. And maybe I was actually maybe thinking you the would same follow. Exact thing. It. Maybe you would follow, John. Just, I would, I would, uh, clearly maybe, you would. It's maybe, just, clearly you would. I don't know. It sounds the most hipster of styles. It totally of does, and that would marginalize people too. So I don't think we want to jump on that uh, 
support anytime soon because at some point we're going to run out of post. We're already in the post-modernist era as far as literature standards are concerned. Please don't tell me what comes next. I don't. The, they just back themselves into a corner the in terms of modernist. It, that's it. It's neo either post, neo neo postmodernist. I think that's a thing or somewhere. New, I really or do. Or the new post. Or the old new post. Or the old new post ooh, road. Ooh, 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 <laughs> I think these are revival. Something revival. Blah 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 blah. Revival. That's always a thing. That is always a thing. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, move on from this nightmare of genre hopping. Um, well, I suppose we'll go to our spam of the week, Steve. You want me to give you the spam of the week? That would be helpful, yeah. Actually, would it be helpful to you for me to give you the spam of the week? Are you talking like a spam bot? Would you like me to give you the spam of the week? <laughs> I believe everything posted was actually very logical. However, what about this? Suppose you were to create a killer headline. I mean, I don't wish to tell you I don't wish to tell you how to run your website, but suppose you added something that makes people want more. I mean, CCP episode 102, Fuego by Fish. Kind of boring. You could peek at Yahoo's homepage and see how they write article headlines to grab people to click. You might add a related video or a related pick or two to grab readers excited about what you've got to say. Just my opinion, it may make your posts a little livelier by foreclosure. See, and my, the worst part about that is that it actually sounds somewhat like a valid argument until he says you should post pictures. We do post relevant pictures. Yeah, we do. So it's just a dumb spam bot named for dumb spam. We'll keep our pride, thank you, in our choice of accurate title naming. Good day, sir. <laughs> I said good day. I said good day. Um, okay. <laughs> With that wonderfulness, let's move on to uh, my pick for next week. Um, so I actually got really excited. I was checking online looking for new Gorillaz albums because I'm always looking for new Gorillaz albums. Because you should always be looking for new Gorillaz albums. And there wasn't, but... I look for Gorillaz and albums, personally. Separately. <laughs> there was a related album for the Gorillaz by Damon Albarn, who is the lead singer and creative force behind the Gorillaz. He does... He's part of Blur. Um... He's even, I think, got another band besides those two that I'm blanking on now. So, Blur hasn't put out a record recently, I believe. The Gorillaz, their last big record was Plastic Beach. But uh, Damon did put out a record solo for uh, Monkey Journey to the West, which was a show that was running for a while, and I heard the soundtrack was fantastic. Well, he has a new, single, uh, new solo record out called Everyday Robots. Um, he's a great producer. He's produced all of the Gorillaz work, did all the vocals for it. Worked on a lot of the writing for it. So I'm really interested to hear what he considers his solo work, since I would believe just as much that the Gorillaz was his solo work with an animated band pushed to the front. Or Blur was his solo work with another the rest of the band lending input. Like, yeah, I, I'm kind of intrigued. Like, he's, what's his pure, diluted, uh, artistic idea? Well, because it leads me to remember, like, when Rob Thomas released his first solo record, I was like, okay, Matchbox 20. I like Matchbox 20. I wonder what Rob Thomas' solo stuff would sound like. Turns out it mostly sounded like a poppier version of Matchbox 20, but was more or less fairly similar. So I don't know that this will be the same case. It may sound like the gorillas. It may sound like something new, but I'm interested in doing it. So that was my pick. Um, as always, please check out the Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Email us your questions or comments or album suggestions. Try and keep it relatively recent. We don't want to dip too far into the past because we are trying to stay fairly recent. 
Um, I did announce our big September guest. I also am happy to announce we have steady guests through the end of the year for the podcast prime, as well as I've got plenty of guests lined up for podcast part two, the podcasting. So um, if you have a suggestion for someone I should reach out to to interview, or you would like me to interview you, you're a musician listening, please reach out. Um, admin at crashcords.com. Um, send info there. And I think that's it. Send info there. Yes. And on that note... <laughs> you realize what you said just now. Yes. Yeah, good. On that note, always remember, music is life, and, and life is there. good. <laughs>